uh, in football, they, they, they always say that coach comes from the coaching tree of this person. And, and uh, this couple uh, is someone that has a, a missionary tree of incredible missionaries that you have heard of, missionaries that we have had here that have come out of his, almost his tree, really. They have been a part of their lives and investing in their lives. And uh, they're in the country of Africa, but their, co their, their missionary tree goes all over the world. And uh, you're going to be blessed uh, by their ministry this morning. Would you welcome Doug and Kareen Lowenberg as they come up here and minister today? Good morning, Bethel Rock Farmington. It is great being here with you and with Pastor James and Heather. And, and you know, I love the family tree, too, because we know Gloria Gifford in Africa. Isn't that neat how God just weaves all of our paths together? But we are so grateful, too, just for your love for missions, for missionaries, you know, Africa is all about relationships, too, and isn't life here. But all the lives that we touch over there as we train up nationals, especially in our Bible colleges, and you've had a part in that. And thank you for that and for prayer. And, you know, we also, we have two daughters, and both of them are now fully appointed missionaries to the continent of Africa. And God helped, amen, our daughter Julia raise her financial support during the COVID season. And then our youngest daughter, Ruthie, speaking of the family tree, how she and her husband, Devin, and our little grandson, Nolan, we each have one grandson, but they're serving in the Indian Ocean Basin, primarily reaching out to Muslims. So thank you for just us being here. And, you know, Farmington also came over to Kenya and worked with us and helped do two different times, a youth group and then um, several married couples. So we're thankful for this church and for all of Bethel's Rock. And we're just excited to see how you have grown and that you're partnering with us. So God bless. Thank you. Uh, so I didn't know that, actually. So if you went on a trip to Kenya, stand up. Stand up if you went on that. Anyone in here that did that? Mitch did. Oh, oh that's great. That was embarrassing. <laughs> you did what? But we did camping, but the young people did better than the older people. Oh. <laughs> And and now you're in now you're in Ethiopia. You're going Ethiopia. to Ethiopia. Can you turn his mic up? Uh, get his mic. So so you, you're going to tell us a little bit of that path where you started. And I can do that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so now you're going to Ethiopia. Is anything you want to say about about that? You going to Ethiopia or? You know we we love Ethiopia and God has you know with missions God has moved us different places. And isn't missions all about people and being obedient to what God calls you to do? But the National Church now has a new general superintendent who really wants to partner and has with us and asked, has asked us to return there, helping in the Bible school 
and just helping them to partner more with the many ways that the Assemblies of God loves missions. So let's work together. So pray for us. There's a lot of transition before we move there in um, January. So would you pray with us that God will provide um, just housing and so many different things. Thank you. Let's do that. Reach out your hand to them right now. Father, we, we just want to say thank you for the many sacrifices this family has made. And yet, Lord God, to them, it's no sacrifice. It's just a total commitment from love for you. Lord, you said you were their Jehovah provider from the very first day they started this. So we hold you to that promise right now that every, every moment in their life when that need is necessary, Lord God, that the door would open and the gift would be greater than they imagined. It would be fuller than they've ever expected. In fact, it would overflow, that they would even be able to bless others through the blessing that is just so abundant in their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. <coughs> we have a few prayer cards that have been put someplace. If you want to pick one of those up to be reminded to pray for us, we would be honored. And do be praying for Ethiopia. Right now they're involved in a civil war. Um, and I, don't, I won't go into all the details, but we just pray for God's intervention because usually the innocent, the people already marginalized and suffering are the ones who take the greatest brunt. So pray, pray for that country. Over 100 million people in Ethiopia, right up in the northeastern corner of the continent, across the Red Sea from Saudi Arabia. And we, we believe God wants to use Ethiopia to reach the Middle East, to go north into North Africa and to the east. So we're really praying God will use us to be a catalyst and train and, and see a great wave of, of missionaries come from Ethiopia throughout that part of the world. So pray for us as we return uh, to a country and to people whom we love. Pastor James, it is such a treat to be with you. Uh, Pastor was a wonderful student in years gone by at North Central, and just to see the work he and Heather are doing to keep expanding the kingdom of God all over the world, we just bless you and we thank you for the privilege of partnering together. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, and it's the story in, in the NIV, it's called The Faith of the Canaanite woman. Uh, and the title of my thoughts this morning are that is this, Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. Now, I mean, equal opportunity is a big deal. Whether uh, age or gender or ethnicity, the opportunity to go to school for a job, to make a purchase, you just want there to be a level playing field and you're not given disadvantage because of some unnecessary factor. When I read this text, I am so impressed with the fact that Jesus Christ is an equal opportunity Savior, and it is so true, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will. And it doesn't matter about age, ethnicity, the degree of gross sinfulness, your socioeconomic level. I just see Jesus reaching out and saying, I'm here, I have come, I have approached you. If you'll just simply take a little step, I'm ready to work in your life and bring transformation. Reading this text, 
It says, and leaving that place. And by the way, you say, well, what's that place? You'd have to go back to the end of chapter 14, verse 34. And it mentions that Jesus was in a little place called Gennesaret, which is, you know, the Lake of Galilee would be the northwest corner of Galilee. So leaving that place, he withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, to get to Tyre and Sidon from Lake Galilee, you'd have to go up the Jordan River Valley and then go west because of mountain ranges that were impassable. And so to go from where Jesus was up there, it wasn't just like a, you know, a few hour little saunter. It was maybe 30 to 40 miles or 45 to 50 kilometers. So, I mean, it's very intentional that Jesus goes there. He's leaving Israel proper. He's going to a foreign country, another culture, another religion. So this is very significant in what he is doing. He goes to Tyre and Sidon, and it says in verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out crying. I mean, loud, desperate, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering cruelly from demon possession. Wow. Now, think about this setting. Here is Jesus, obviously male, Jewish, rabbi, miracle worker, prophet, highly respected, goes out to a very, very far remote region, and here comes, I mean, you talk about culturally the exact opposite, a woman, a Canaanite with a daughter demonized by the powers of evil. I mean, it's suggested that the Canaanites, I mean, they were arch enemies of Israel all the way back to the time of Moses and Joshua, and they had been persistent and, and in the conflict and worshiping idols and immorality. Who knows if this family hadn't dedicated that little girl to demonic powers even before birth or in birth. I mean, we don't know, but it says she was being cruelly demonized, ripped and torn apart by the demonic seizures that were in her life. And here is a mom like is any mom who is looking for help. We don't know if she'd spend all kinds of money going to witch doctors and trying to find solutions. And I mean, don't you wish the Bible had a little bit more uh, filling in the gap, footnotes or something? How in the world, way up there, did this lady know about Jesus? And how did she even identify who he was? But somehow... There was an awareness. In fact, if you did go back to Matthew chapter 4, at the end of Matthew 4, when Jesus began his ministry, it says that word about him spread even all the way up to Syria, which is even further north than Tyre and Sidon. So maybe there were words and reports, and she made an identification with Jesus coming through. And even though she's a woman, and it's so culturally inappropriate for a woman to publicly approach a man and further a Canaanite to approach a Jew and a lady with a background in idolatry to approach this holy prophet. I mean, there was something desperate and yet filled with faith and confidence that if she could get to him, he would accept her and he had the power and authority to bring the transformation she and her daughter needed. You know, there's some in there, folks, because Jesus didn't just happen to go strolling around. I think he went all the way to Tyre and Sidon for one 
desperate Canaanite woman. And you say, well, I don't know if he cares about me. Or my situation is too difficult and I'm too engrossed in sin and evil and habits. I want you to know Jesus is here and you are here. And if you'll just take one little step of faith, he can make all the difference. He can transform your life. Here was this woman in desperation. No other answer. And Jesus came walking into her life on that day. You just saw a little glimpse of a story that I want to fill it, fill it all in for you. And it's about a guy named Hassan. He kind of reminds me of this woman. He's from the northeastern corner of Kenya. We call it Mandera. Just north is Ethiopia. And just to the east is Somalia. 100% Muslim. And they're actually pretty radicalized. Hassan had come down with some sickness and nobody knew what it was. He couldn't get any cure. He went to a clinic. He thought he was going to die there. One day he needed to relieve himself. There were no bathrooms, so you go to the bush. And he went out, as he was going out, uh, an attendant gave him two little sheets of paper to use for TP, which is kind of common in our area, squatted behind the bush, got ready to take care of business, and noticed, wow, I've got some pretty fancy TP. It's got writing on it. And he began to read in Swahili, God so loved the world. Somebody had given uh, a Muslim a Bible, and they just thought it was garbage, but you don't want to waste the paper, so they ripped it out, and they were passing it out for TP. And he had those, you know, two sheets, front and back, and he read through chapter 3, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and chapter 4, where Jesus went up to Samaria, and he said, I, I will give you something that will satisfy your, your thirst. And the people of Samaria came out and declared Jesus was the Savior of the world. And in the chapter 5, Jesus goes to the, the Bethesda where there are all these sick people and he heals that man who was a paralytic for years and years and years. Well, Hassan came back into the clinic. He sat down on his little cot and he said, Jesus, we, we know we've been taught all of our lives. You're one of the great prophets and you gave us the Injil and we know you're holy. But if this is who you really are, you're a healer and you care and you can satisfy the longing in our hearts, would you heal me? And in an instant of time, the power of Jesus Christ healed Hassan in that clinic where he was dying. He got up, checked himself out, went back to his village. Can you imagine walking into his little hut and there's his daughter and his wife and they thought he was dead and there he is, he's been healed. And he told them about how he had been healed by praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they immediately accepted Christ and they began to go through the village telling their friends about Jesus and what had happened to their, her dad, husband. And they were just thrilled and thought everybody would respond positively. A few days later, Hassan, now recovered, went on a business trip to try to make some money. And while he was away, the villagers came, grabbed his daughter and his wife, took him out of the hut, and they murdered them because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Hassan got the report, he was terrified and, you know, grieving, and he fled to the city of Nairobi, six million people just wandering in a state of lostness, a stupor of, of fear. And the Lord supernaturally guided him to a gate. I mean, here's this massive city, and there's a gate, and it's got four letters on it, E-A-S-T, East Africa School of Theology. It's our Bible school. 
just happened to come upon it. He went inside. He told missionaries and the students there about what had happened in his life, about his salvation and healing and then the tragedy. And he said, God is calling me in the ministry. I don't even know what that means, but I feel like God wants me to serve him in this new way. Four years later, he graduated with a degree in Bible and theology. And today, he is going to our churches in Kenya and in Tanzania training people on how to be more effective in bringing the gospel to their fellow Muslim friends and neighbors. You know, you look at a guy like them, you say, no way, no hope, too far into sin, too far gone. You look at this woman and you say, no hope. I mean, a Canaanite, a woman, demon possession. She came to Jesus crying out, Lord, I mean, I honor, whether that just means sir or maybe it means Lord God. Son of David is a messianic term, highly honoring him, identifying him with the promise to David that one of his seed was going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And she makes that identification. And then she doesn't come with entitlement or demand. She just says, have mercy on me. No manipulation. No, no conniving. It's just, I'm desperate. Help me. What is amazing and shocking and frustrating is the biblical text says, and Jesus did not answer her a word. Why? That's a tough one, isn't it? And I know you've heard sermons far better than this one that try to give an explanation. Some say Jesus was just kind of surprised that this lady came out of nowhere. I don't think so. Some people say Jesus was kind of anti-Gentile, and this was not the time, so he just was kind of standoffish. Some people say, and I've heard this one preached so many times, Jesus just wanted to test her faith, make it a little tough for her, raise the resistance level. I don't accept any of those. You know, it'd be real, if we had time, you could go back and read through the gospel, and you're going to find people who used every one of those expressions, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. And every time when they came that way, Jesus always received them with open arms, whether they were lepers, whether they were Gentiles, they had kids who had epilepsy or demons, blindness, it doesn't matter. Jesus always accepts them. So you got to put a big question mark and say, why at this time did Jesus not say a word? Silence. Well, the great beauty in the literary ability of Matthew he gets to that point, and he hasn't even mentioned the fact that it's not only Jesus and a Canaanite woman, there are 12 other people there. And in the silence, the disciples said, Lord, send her away. She is crying out after us. And that should make you laugh. Be um, where did she ever talk about them? Uh, you talk about self-centered. Lord, son of David, have mercy. Oh, yeah, and you guys too. They weren't even included. But somehow they step in and they are so self-centered and they're so bothered. They're the ones who have a problem that she's a woman, she's a Canaanite, she's a Gentile. There's demons. Get her out of here. Send her away. She is crying out after us. I think to really understand the context, you got to go back to the previous story in Matthew chapter 15, and we don't have time to read it, but it tells us that there were Pharisees 
who came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, your disciples are eating food and they haven't done the 22nd COVID hand wash with proper anti-germs. They're not washing. And they're eating, and because they're in their culture, in their religion, if you didn't have the proper hand washing, then you, when you ate, you spiritually contaminated yourself. And Jesus goes into a discussion with them. You can read it. It's not what goes into you. It's what comes out of you. It's what is in your heart that comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. It's not whether you eat shrimp or oysters or blood. Hallelujah. And if you want that, God bless you. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out. And in that conversation, Jesus does tell them, he says, it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, etc., etc. Now, we've got to just go in and one other little part of that encounter is very important. When Jesus countered the view of the Pharisees, Jesus' own disciples came to him and they said, Jesus... Don't you know what you said offended the Pharisees? Now, that's very important because you can see that at that place in their development, the disciples were still more Pharisaic than they were really becoming followers of the Lord Jesus. They're defending the Pharisees who are accusing them, defending the Pharisees against what Jesus is saying. And Jesus stops and he says, you must stop following them. They are blind guides. And if the blind, think of the inference, follow the blind, they're all going to fall in a ditch. I love the honesty of the Bible because at that point, the Bible says in verse 15, Peter says, Duh, explain the parable. And Jesus says, and I'm, I'm not making it up, it's in the text. Jesus looks at Peter and says, are you still so dull? <laughs> if your teacher tells you that, you're in trouble. <laughs> See, I think what we're looking at are 12 guys that, they're, I mean, Jesus is so merciful and gracious and patient with them and with all of us. And he had selected them, and they're kind of in the process. But, man, they've got a whole lot of Phariseeism and legalism and culture and religion that is affecting the way they not only view him, but the way they affect his mission and the way they view other people. And when this lady comes up, they're just simply responding out of their background and their, their thinking, their values. Send her away. It's all about us. It's not about her. And then Jesus makes another difficult statement. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I'm a teacher. I love giving quizzes. I love pop quizzes. Yes, James. <laughs> pop quiz. Oh, boy. So here's the quiz. True, false. Is that statement true? I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel or false? How many say true? You better not raise your hand. Say false. Don't raise your hand. Because if you get it wrong, no lunch. I was sent. Now think about that. I was sent only 
to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There are many people, many commentaries, many scholars say this is true. During Jesus' lifetime, it was only and all about Jews. Somehow they forgot John 3.16. Somehow they haven't even looked at the Gospel of Matthew. Because Matthew begins the very first verse in chapter 1, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? I'm going to give you a seed, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Immediately then, Matthew, in his introduction, gives the genealogy, and in the genealogy, Jesus has four Gentile women in his background who came out of pagan, a, a pagan past. The very first people in Matthew who come and worship him as king are the Magi who were non-Jews who came from the east while Herod and the religious people planned to murder him. In chapter 4 of Matthew, when Jesus began his public ministry, he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, and then Matthew quotes from Isaiah, people, Gentiles, living in darkness have seen a great light. Go to chapter 8, where a, a centurion, a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus and says, I've got a, a child who is sick, and Jesus says, I myself will go. And I could go on and on, even in the Gospel of Matthew. He so clearly shows that Jesus came for all. I mean, the book closes with, go and make disciples of all the nations. What is going on here? I think it goes back to that earlier story. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think Jesus was verbalizing what was actually in the hearts and the minds of his disciples to bring it out and expose it so that he could begin to address it and bring healing and transformation. And friends, I don't want to be overly hard with you, but we can be so much like those disciples. You came only for the lost sheep of the tribe of the United States of America. Our group, our tribe, our people, our language, our culture. You came to save our kind, but not them. And you and I, we, we need to say, oh God, I thank you for calling me. And I thank you that I'm following you. And I thank you that I'm a disciple, but I'm not where I need to be yet. And keep changing me, keep healing me, keep opening my eyes that I can be the kind of disciple you want me to be to see this whole world is yours and you want all to be saved and none to be lost. See, the lady got it. Because when Jesus made that statement, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, she immediately comes and bows and worships him and says, Lord, and every time she addresses him, it's Lord, help me. She wasn't turned off by that. I think she understood. And that's why he went all the way up to Tyre and Sidon because he wanted to change and save one woman and her child. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She didn't give up. She knew that he had come. She knew that he had love and he had power and he had grace. And then Jesus makes another difficult statement if we don't see it in the context. He looks at her and he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. And in that culture, dogs were vile. They roamed the streets in packs they were unclean. They weren't in the house. They weren't house pets. 
and to take bread away from children and to throw it to dogs. I mean, what a radical comparison. And sometimes we have been told, well, Jesus, again, he was making it tough for her. He's basically calling her a dog. I cannot accept that. But there were 12 guys in the room who would all be nodding. We are the children. We're in the family. We deserve the blessing and the food. You know, it's all about us. And in their minds, and you can even read it in the rabbinical writings, they looked at Gentiles as though they were no better than dogs. I think Jesus is verbalizing those kind of values in them that maybe they were ashamed and embarrassed to say, but Jesus is cutting them open so he can heal their hearts. Oh, beloved. I mean, we're looking at a world that's all messed up. We're looking at Afghanistan. We're looking at the southern border, and we're saying, vile, evil, keep them away. And I'm, I'm not trying to be political, but I'm saying, look at people through Jesus' eyes. People lost, people in bondage, people who need healing and help. And we, and we just need to say, Lord, I don't know how I respond politically and socioeconomically, but may I have the heart and the compassion of Jesus about people who have an eternal destiny. Jesus says, it's not good. You don't take the bread away from the kids. You know what she said? She says, it's true, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. It's not what you and I do when little Fido or, you know, Bambi is under the table and we, when nobody's looking, or maybe you don't even worry about that. No, she's saying there is such an abundant supply for the people sitting around the table. We're inferring that those are the disciples and they are the masters. But there is such an abundance that there's enough for them and even the crumbs are enough to satisfy. Even a crumb from Jesus is enough to heal my daughter, to set me free, to bring transformation. Anything provided by Jesus will be enough. It's not an either or. It's not about we are really the ones who deserve it and not those. Come on, let's level the table. No, she just says, I'll take whatever you give. Take care of them, but would you please even let a crumb fall for me? And Jesus looked at this woman who maybe was despised by the 12, and he says, oh, woman, you have great faith. Faith in who I am. Faith in what I've come to do. Faith in my, my open arms that say whosoever will may come. That I have the power to heal and to set free and to deliver and bring transformation. You have great faith. And according to your request, it will be done. And the story concludes that her daughter was healed at that very hour. At a distance far away. Maybe that kid was going through seizures and the demonic clutches. And in that moment, the voice of Jesus said, get out, be healed, be set free. And her life was changed. I wish they had video cameras in those days, don't you? I'd love to see it pan in on the 12. They're kind of, duh. You know, how can it happen? Thuo is a good friend of ours. He comes from western Kenya. He grew up in a polygamous home. His mom was the second wife 
of an old man who had a first wife and many, many children. Second wife, he was the only child. He was favored among them all. He went away to high school, and at the end of high school, he took his final exams. And in Kenya, those exams determine if you're going to be able to go on to college or not. I mean, everything weighs on that one final comprehensive exam. He was studying for the exams, and he got sick. Around that same time, his dad passed away. They couldn't find any cure for what was wrong with him, so they sent him home from school. He wasn't able to take the exams. He got home, and his mom said, you can't stay here now that your dad has died because the other wife and all the kids hate you, and they're going to try to kill you. So she sent him to her sister or his auntie. Again, this is a pagan family. They knew nothing about the gospel, living in, in a world of animistic spirit realities. She, he went to his aunt, who was a born-again believer. He was sick. He was dying. She put him in a little bedroom, and every day she'd walk in with a bowl of soup and read the Bible, pray, give him some soup. Same thing over and over and over. He started to get better. One day he walked out into the living room where his auntie was, and he said, Auntie, what is this magic that you've been doing that's making me feel better? And she told him the, sto the whole story about the Lord Jesus Christ. And she actually prayed for him and cast demons out of his life because what had happened was the other mother and the siblings had put curses on Thuo, and he had become demon-possessed out of their envy and hatred toward him. He was set free. He went back to school, took the exams, did so well he qualified to go to university, but he said, no, God's called me into the ministry. He came to East Africa School of Theology. Today he's a pastor, and he has planted over 50 churches in western Kenya. And I mean, I tell you those stories because the same God who's working today is the God of this Bible, and he's the God here in Farmington and in Lakeville and southern Minnesota and in Ethiopia and Kenya, and he's saying, I, I want the Canaanites to come, but I also want the disciples to come. I want to heal. I want to heal the demons. I want to heal the prejudices. I want you to be my representatives wherever you live and wherever you go. And I want you to raise your vision, not only for U.S. of A., but for a world with billions and billions of people, many who have never, ever even heard. And maybe you're the one who's going to walk into Tyre and Sidon and be his representative and let people come and be transformed. Lord Jesus... I don't know the background of anybody in here, but I know you do. And I know there's some Canaanites. They're coming here in pain. Their lives are ripped and torn. The demonic powers are at work in their lives. But Jesus, they're here. And they have come with faith. And may you extend your arm of healing and deliverance and salvation. And Lord, I pray for the disciples. We're here. We're in process. But we're carrying so much baggage. Help us to become more like you. To see people with your eyes. To reach out with your love and compassion. To bring transformation to our hurting, broken, angry world. We come that you might change us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Can I have you stand up? Uh, I believe in miracles. You believe in miracles? 
I believe God wants to use every person in this room to lead someone into the kingdom of God. It would be a, a terrible thing if God said, I gave you an entire lifetime and, and we've never introduced someone to Jesus. How, m- how many would say that would be, that would be terrible? Like there, that we are a mouthpiece of God. You say, well, that's just not my personality. It, your personality is not going to hinder you from, from obeying and following and, and succeeding in the commission of God, our mission. Amen? And so what we want to do is we're going to have altar workers come on up here uh, this morning. They're going to come stand up here. And if you need a miracle in your life, God's going to do it today. Um, I just believe that with all my heart. Yeah, come on. All those that are uh, uh, prayer workers at the altar. And we believe in the power of the altar, just coming and saying, God, I'm stepping out. And I'm saying, God, I believe. Just as this woman came to Jesus to believe in a miracle, I believe as you do that, God's going to do a miracle. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've never, I've never really said to the Lord, said to God, said, Lord, I accept your son Jesus as the redeeming, uh, salvation-giving uh, uh, person in my life. I want to invite him to come into my life. And you may even wonder, what is that about? What, how does that look? Uh, we want to walk with you and just show you what it is to walk with Jesus. What does that look like to walk with Jesus? There, there is something, and, and I understand you say, well, I'm not, I'm not ready to make a change. You will never be ready to make a change until you meet Jesus. Because religion says you have the power to change. Jesus says I have the power to make you change. If you could have lived that way, you would have by now. But you can't. You do not have enough willpower to change your life, to change your marriage, to change your relationships, to change really almost anything. You you do not have the power to do that. You were not created to be the power to do that. You were created by God to need His power to be what you what what causes to be you to be at your best. Amen. And that's what people in Christ realize, they realize without Jesus, I am nothing. Without Jesus, I'm as good as a toaster that's never plugged in. It better look good, because that's the only thing it's going to do, is look good on the counter. But if you plan on using it, you got to plug that in. And if you plan on the just being used, you got to plug your life into Jesus this morning. And so I want to invite you to come as we sing and worship this morning. We're going to just do this with all of our heart. And while we do that, you just step out. You say, well, what will everybody think? And, and I've told you this a hundred times. Nobody is thinking about you. You know why? They're too busy thinking about themselves. So don't let the enemy make you think that they even are even considering why you're up there. They don't care. Right? Unless the Holy Spirit points you out in their heart and, and then they, they're praying for you, standing with you in agreement. Amen? So you ready to come as we sing this song? You just start stepping out. And if you are waiting for someone to come out, you be the first one that steps on out and just comes up and, and believes for a miracle this morning. Let's sing this together. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not again. 